Hello, everybody. Welcome to Room 237. I'm John Laird, and I'm joined by my wife, the one, the only, Whitney Lamond. Ahoy, ahoy. How are you today? I'm good. I'm happy and excited to talk about the movie and the miniseries. That's right. We only, have, we only have the two this time. There is no low-rent B-movie mm -hmm. sequel or anything for The Shining. It is surprising because it very much leans itself more to that, a scary hotel yeah. that people stay in than any of the other King things we've done so far that have had so many kind of weirdo adaptations mm -hmm. or sequels and stuff. But yeah, there's just Kubrick's film and then the King-written miniseries that came out in, in 97. And also, if you don't know already, Room 217 is our podcast where we discuss King's books. We're reading them, all the published ones, chronologically. Mm -hmm. And then Room 237 are the adaptations of those because Room 217 is the room in the book and Room 237 is the room in The Shining Kubrick's film because the hotel that they filmed it in said, uh, we don't want people to be scared to stay in Room 217. Can you please change it? And uh, now I, I read somewhere that the hotel yeah. only has people request to stay in Room 217. Yeah, so, you know, that's how that goes. But sure. anyways, there's just the two. Thank God also. Yeah. Because like, the, also the miniseries is three hour and a half long part. So that's a, mm -hmm, a hefty mm -hmm. undertaking. And then Kubrick's film is like two and a half hours. So there may only be two, but they are hefty. Yeah, That'll take up your day. Yeah. So I'm happy that we didn't actually have more than that, though. I wouldn't have been upset with like a low rent. <laughs> like uh like a sequel I feel, somewhere yeah, along the I, way. I, the I Shining or, or do something. a prequel or something like that. Just it's right. just in the end, what it really boils down to is it's a haunted hotel. Right. The shining brighter than ever. What mm -hmm. do you think about that? Um no. Okay. Yeah. I well, think no. Well fine, whatever. Okay. <laughs> so the shining the movie. Let's discuss that i'll do a quick quick kind of couple of facts and then uh we'll do a little plot summary but released in 1980 obviously directed by stanley kubrick stars jack nicholson shelly duvall scatman crowthers and danny lloyd which by the way his only movie he didn't do anything after this i read he did one more thing and that it was, was like it. a cameo okay but anyways so he he's dead to us which is fine no nope. i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> it was shot at the Timberline Lodge, which is in Oregon, not at the Stanley, which is where King was inspired to mm -hmm. write this book. Uh, Well-received when it came out. I mean, was not well-received when it came out. And then by the end of the decade, which is the 80s, people were like, actually, that movie's pretty great. But when it came out, people were like, this is trash. It got nominated for Razzies and stuff. So there you go. Sometimes that's just how it goes. Mm. King hated it. Yeah. Uh, which is part of the reason why he did the miniseries later. But we'll get into all of that in a bit. Here is the plot because it is a little bit different than the book. Yes. Um, and I say a little bit different as in the story structure is pretty much the same, but the, the, a lot of different details. And the this the Q Kubrick movie. Q how do you say it? Kubrick. Kubrick Let's call him Stanley. Stan well, I don't want to mix him up with the hotel. You won't. Okay. But the movie came out really soon after the book. The book 
dropped in 77, yeah. I think. So uh, just a couple So years. just a few years after. So I don't know. I think that's important to remember. It might be. Anyways, is. here is the plot. Jack Torrance gets a job at the Overlook Hotel as the caretaker for the winter. He brings along his wife, Wendy, who's a very sweet woman, and his son, Danny, who can shine. Essentially, it's psychic abilities. Jack is a recovering alcoholic, but there's no booze in the hotel, so it's not really much of a concern. Also, he intends to finish writing a play while there, and that combined with the upkeep of the hotel, like he thinks it's going to keep them busy, and he will, he'll be fine, and there will be no you know, cabin fever or anything that happens to him. Things start pretty strong and good. Jack is like kind of seemingly energized by the hotel, but of course it just all starts to slowly fall apart. Jack becomes super grumpy and he starts having nightmares. Danny gets hurt after entering one of the guest rooms, room 237. Things escalate further when Jack visits the hotel bar, which was previously empty and is now stocked and being run by a man named Lloyd. He begins drinking he also meets Grady, the previous caretaker, who tells him that he corrected his family who were kind of mm-hmm. getting out of line and that Jack needs to do the same because Danny has used his special ability to call in Dick Halloran, who's the hotel chef and can also shine. Meanwhile, Wendy has been holed up in their sort of hotel apartment with Danny as Jack has been drinking up all this ghost booze. She leaves and goes to kind of see what Jack has been doing, what he's been working on, and she finds his typewriter and starts looking through all the pages and realizes that he's only been typing the same thing over and over, which is all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. So now she knows he's super crazy. He comes out, and he's all like, bitch, what are you doing? And she's all like, you're crazy. They fight. She knocks him out with a bat, locks him in the pantry. Jack is very angry. Uh, and then the ghost of Grady, the previous caretaker, lets Jack out. Jack then pursues uh, Wendy and Danny. He's going to get them because mm-hmm. he wants them. Dick shows up and immediately gets killed by immediately an axe. I mean, he comes all this way because he's off in Florida while the hotel is on winter break. And he has to fly all the way back, gets there, gets up the mountain, runs in. And is immediately killed by Jack. Such a bummer. Wendy and Danny are still running from Jack. They end up separated. And Jack, you know, kind of keying in on Danny, follows him into the hotel's hedge maze. There, Danny kind of gives him the slip. Jack gets lost. Jack freezes to death there in the maze. And Wendy and Danny escape in the snowcat that Dick had taken up the mountain. Mm-hmm. Then the film wraps with a close-up of an old photo in the hotel and it zooms in and zooms in and there is Jack right in the front, front just center. as he is told earlier in the film he was always and has always been the caretaker at the overlook that's the plot pretty much the same um the ending is obviously different mm-hmm. uh there is no maze in the book um no hedge maze they definitely created that instead of using the topiary animals right and the hotel obviously in the book explodes Mm -hmm. and jack who is at that point disfigured by the you know the monster Mm -hmm. inside of him or the hotel or whatever dies in that he's the only character out of the main ones that die yeah in this uh dick gets killed but he lives in the book yep 
And uh, yeah, he and Wendy and Danny all go down in the mountain at the end, but mm-hmm. in here he's dead, obviously. And Sorry. then Jack freezes in, in, in the, the maze. maze. So that's pretty different. But the rest of the book kind of store or the rest of the movie story wise is is kind of in line but it's just sort of missing all of the fun character development this is kind of just a a more of a straight up kind of horror movie than it is this struggling family trying to piece themselves together and then just get ripped apart the sympathy like or empathy really that you feel with jack in the book and even wendy doesn't really carry over into the film mainly because Jack is kind of a crazy asshole from the beginning. Right. Like straight the first, sorry, I'm sorry. The first thing he does is you see him interviewing at the hotel with Ullman and Ullman is actually a really nice guy in the movie. Yeah. And he's only in it like very briefly. Yeah. But, uh, Jack is still clearly kind of irritated by being there. Ullman is like, do you like, well, actually he ends up telling Jack about the murders that happened previously in the hotel with the old caretaker Grady. And he's like, okay, Jack, do you think like you're, you're okay with that? And would your wife and son be okay with that? And Jack is like, they'll love it as if, him, his wife and his kids opinion would be like it's entirely irrelevant to him because he doesn't actually give a shit what they it's think. also just nicholson just looks angry and crazy and insane all, all on his own in fact king didn't like that nicholson got cast because nicholson was in you know one flew of the cuckoo's nest and already looks like a madman mm-hmm. and talks like one you know we talked about as we were watching the movie he's got right. just that weird drawl where he pulls all the words out yes. as though he's pretty much saying I hate you and mm-hmm. you're wasting my time and I'm smarter and better than you. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, like right away, Nicholson, we talked about too, when they're in the car ride up and Danny's like, I'm hungry. And just like, right. Jack just looks so annoyed yeah. that he has this damn family with him mm-hmm. and they're going to be on his riding retreat, or at least that's kind of how he's viewing it. And he, yeah, like Nicholson just looks so bonkers right away. Yeah. I looked up, you know, some of the other stuff, you know, they originally considered Robert De Niro, Robin Williams and Harrison Ford mm-hmm. for that role. I can maybe see Ford doing it. I can't see De Niro or Williams. Yeah. I mean, Williams for sure. No, because Ford has that really good, like brooding rage beneath his eyes where he also doesn't seem to like anybody. Yeah. So, um, and but he can also be really charming, obviously, when you look at things like Indiana Jones sure. or Han Solo, that kind of stuff. Like he's clearly a a very charming guy. So I think he could have done it. But apparently King, uh, he wanted John Voight, Christopher Reeve or Michael Moriarty. And what I love about Michael Mori- Moriarty's uh, being a choice in this is that in a return to Salem's lot, he is the dad, the like kind of oh, low rent okay. guy. Yep. He's the dad in that, which we That's laughed about right. so much because he is so awful in it. He was. Thank God he wasn't Jack. <laughs> yeah, so I guess King wanted more of an everyman that just didn't look so insano all the time, which I get because sure. uh, Nicholson totally plays it right from the start as this guy who's full of a lot of rage and just 
I don't know, insanity. Like you never look at him and think, oh, he might pull it together. And I will say that is kind of one of my favorite parts of the book, which we talked about in, you know, in 217, which is that King never really lets the characters go one whole way. Mm -hmm. You know, like Wendy may be soft and annoying, but also she's strong in her own ways. And Jack may be mean, but he also has these moments where he's like, I don't want to kill my family. And these like sweet things where Nicholson doesn't do it that way. He just seems insane. Yeah. And he is. (laughs) Yeah, that's also true. Like he is. It's just amplified by being in the hotel right so overall then do you consider Nicholson a like a highlight or a a low light I don't I mean I I think it's a highlight I think I view the movie almost as an separate thing from the book because it's just to me it's so different like I I never sympathized with Jack in any way really in the book in the no in the movie because he's just such an asshole the whole time and Wendy is so frail and just she wants to be understanding she's like a classic battered woman almost Shelley Duvall does a really great job in it which is wild because she got nominated for a Razzie yeah for worst actress but I love her in this because she she is very endearing and sweet and then Mm -hmm. when Jack is so mean especially that first time she interrupts him when he's writing yeah and he's like I'm here fucking writing you know you're a distraction it's just like oh okay and And she's just like okay okay sure Jack and it's like oh Wendy (laughs) and apparently Kubrick put her through the ringer oh yeah because she she was like ill for months at a time due to the stress because Kubrick was like, make her reshoot so many things over and over. Apparently the, there's like a Guinness world mm-hmm. record about the scene on the stairs with the bat yep. where Jack is sort of taunting her and just being so mean and she's just so frail and she's got the bat and she can barely swing it. it, it they reshot that 127 times, which is probably why she seems legitimately on the brink of a mental breakdown in that very moment. She really looks like she can barely hold up that bat. Like, yeah, it's so I it's almost infuriating to me to watch her because I'm just like, just fucking grip the bat. Like, why? Are, right. It's like, ugh, it's almost like it's, a wet noodle. It's like, <laughs> please, please just hit the fuck out of him. Which makes it when she whacks him all the more like, oh, she got him. Yeah, she got him. Yay. Because he is like a total, you know, we, you know, we talked about how one of my favorite parts is, is the hedge animals and how they like stalk. And, in the book. Yeah, in right. the book. And then in the movie, those are gone. There's a maze in place of them or, you know, whatever. But Jack stalks her up the stairs, Mm -hmm. taking one step at a time, very confidently as he's just like after her. And he's got his eyes locked on her and he's just so creepy and predatory and all the things. And she is like barely making her way up the stairs and she's shaking. And like you said, the wet noodle bat and all of that stuff. But I know there were no hedge animals, but for me, that was at least a little... Yeah, as good replacement because yeah, you know when what we talked about one of my favorite parts was in the book when Jack is being stalked by these animals and he's scared and he he's not really sure what to do. But that's her when she's on the stairs. It's like the same thing. Right. He is the hedge animal in this, and what is he capable of? What is he really going to mm-hmm. do? And also the added part that Wendy is still she still loves him and doesn't want to actually fucking hurt him right but she has to she's been put in this situation and 
poor, I just, poor Shelly Duvall. Yeah. Like, I really do see Wendy and Shelly, like, it's, they're almost the same person, and knowing that she went through so much bullshit, and, like, Kubrick told everyone on set to not even be nice to her. Right. Or feel sorry for her and, then, and it just you know defense of Shelley I guess and the other actors too like Nicholson said he would never work with Kubrick again after this he hated it and they the guy that they originally tried to cast as Dick Halloran was like no I hated working with Kubrick and I'll never do it again yeah so you know it's not like he only singled in on Duvall not that that makes it any better really but just saying like the other actors did go oh I'm not ever doing this shit again you count right. me out on that um so because of that, for me, it's hard to like Kubrick should get some measure of credit for what he pulled out of Duvall here. But the fact of the way he did it and the way he treated everyone else is kind of like, hey, man, fuck you. Yep. Um, so obviously Duvall for me is a highlight, despite the fact, the fact that her experience was a low light for her personally. Mm-hmm. I thought Danny Lloyd is pretty good as Danny. Yeah, he's um, a good little zoned out kid. Yeah, he's not as engaging or smart or crafty as the Danny in the book is. Mm-hmm. Um, but they obviously do it a lot different. You know, you never see a manifestation of Tony. Tony is Danny and he talks through his finger. Mm-hmm. Red rum. Uh, Tony, Tony is here. And he just does a little finger thing. Yeah. And he's like, he lives in Danny's my mouth, which is kind of interesting and kind of weird overall is danny a low light or a highlight for you in this not not just the actor but just the way it's done i liked danny like he to me seems he was an actual six-year-old at the time like he seems and acts like a little kid right and in the book you do get a rounder picture of danny and who he is but a lot of it is because you're hearing what he's thinking in his head. Right. So the fact that it's harder to translate that to a movie makes sense to me. So you can kind of see in his just like awful stare when he zones out or when he sees things like this little kid lives almost entirely in his head. And right. so when he does talk to his parents, it's very simple. It's I I and I liked Danny. I liked the little boy who I would have him. liked to have seen a more like representation of Tony than mm. the little finger thing. And I don't know if it ultimately would have fit that well in the movie because Tony less I don't know if he warns Danny as much as he does in the book. It's just more of a way to prove that Danny has like these powers mm-hmm. almost and he knows what's going on in the hotel, but there's not as much of the like mind reading and all of that other stuff that happens in the book i guess it's just danny for me is a little oversimplified in this i would have liked to because his his shine is such a big part of why they mm-hmm. are there and why so much stuff is happening and in this it just it just gets glossed over a little bit and it's a little more focused on jack. jack the movie is about i feel like about jack right and in the book is more of the family yeah each and- member gets like a dedicated yeah. chunk and I, I really enjoyed that. And then that kind of just, Kubrick kind of just threw all of that out. Mm-hmm. It was like, this is about a, a writer who yeah. uh, values his work and then goes insane over it and, you know, tries to mm-hmm. kill his family. Less so than a, what yeah. it is in the book, which is about, you know, domestic abuse and 
alcoholism, alcoholism and just all kinds of these other the things. The struggle. Mm-hmm. Anger management. <laughs> I will say with Danny, though, it does, it's probably one of my favorite parts of the movie in general is Danny cruising around the hotel mm-hmm. on his little trike kind of. On his big wheel. Big wheel, that's right. Hell yeah. Um, you know, that was one of the first uses of the steady cam, which is how they got all of those long shots that look so cool and going well, around. Steady. Mm-hmm. That's what the movie, it's everything's around a corner and yeah. you're blindly turning into everything constantly, not even just with Danny on his big wheel. It's when Shelly and him are in the maze. It's everywhere they walk. Everything is a blind corner and it's so anxiety <laughs> filled for me because i'm like when's it coming when's it coming when's it coming (laughs) well and as you had talked about too you know in in the last podcast which was that you know how do you kind of picture not picture but how do you hear the hotel is it a lot of music or just sort of do you just Mm -hmm. hear the hotel the kind of wind rolling walking through the halls that kind of stuff and the scenes with the power or the big wheel are exactly that there's no real music it's just the wood, ba-dum, then ba-dum, the carpet, ba-dum, 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 and then the ba-dum, wood. Ba-dum. Yeah, yeah, it's just... The way the tricycle sounds. On right, the... which reminded me of, you know, King talked about how when he initially stayed at the Stanley, that was one of the things that he could picture was like his kid walking through the hallways, these like empty, creepy hallways with no one in them. And all mm-hmm. you hear is just, you know, the, the sound of the hotel and stuff like that. And Kubrick did a really good job of really kind of portraying that whether yeah. it was on purpose or not or he was just doing his own thing i know king wrote a script for this movie that kubrick never even read yeah so you know whatever but um he's not the best with scripts anyways that's fair mm-hmm. but we'll talk about that with the mini series yeah. for sure but um i really did love the steady cam usage and just those long hallway shots especially when he turns the one and the twins yeah. are there and you're just like oh <laughs> You know, and uh, so the, that the Danny on his uh, big wheel is a, a really big highlight for me, even if the Danny part is a little bit of uh, kind of sub, too subdued, in my opinion. I, mm-hmm. I would have liked to have had more of the Danny Tony stuff. But, you know, another Kubrick thing that I really liked was all the title cards that are like right. the month, the day. And it's just they serve no real purpose. They're not counting down to anything, but it makes you feel like it is. And Mm -hmm. it also, you start, it's like you're in the hedge maze. You're like, what day are we on? What week is it? What month is it? And you can't like, yeah. How long have these people been here? How long do they have to go? Yep. I really love but the title know, cards and stuff that something had something bad is coming. Right. It's like it's ominous as hell cuz yeah. it's like does this happen on the week? When what yeah. what's going on? Where yeah. are we? Well, cuz in any other movie it's like countdown to D-Day right. or like we have until Friday to do this. And, and it just like nope. it also resets you every time cuz you're like, "Oh, new day, maybe things will be nice today." Nope. No, they won't. No, they won't. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you noticed this too, and this is probably me just being, it's like a level of just film dorkiness here, but at the start of the movie for like the first half of it, a lot of stuff is framed just left of center. Hmm. Like everything is just off at what looks to be a really nice place. Like there's a shot of Jack when he's first writing in that big room Mm -hmm. and he's not sitting at the center of the table. He's sitting on the left side of it. There's a bunch of shots of like hallways and stuff where there's stuff a little bit more like on the left or when they follow like Danny around and stuff. Sometimes he's just left of center. Hmm. I and then later as things lock in into insano mode, it, it all kind of centers out. Hmm. 
I don't know. It, it could have just been something I noticed a few times and connected together in my head, but it was something that I did notice I thought was pretty cool. But then again, Kubrick is a great director, so I'm not surprised if... Right. He's doing weird things to subconsciously fuck with you. Right, because he clearly did that to his actors Yep, and things like that. This is just a quick aside, but you know, one of the, my favorite things in this was just the, the scene with uh, Dick Halloran when it goes to his hotel room. And he just has two Ugh. huge paintings of yes. uh, naked black women with like, huge afros. Yes, just very 70s, like, I, I loved both can we of get, those. Can we get two of those? I would absolutely love to have those okay. in our house. Okay, you guys heard it. Please send those directly to me. They're so good, and yeah. it just totally sets another level of dick <laughs> For you, <laughs> you know, level of dick. you meet him at the hotel in the beginning and he's a really great guy and he's very endearing and helpful with Danny and is, you know, wants to protect him. And he's generally how you picture him in the book. Kind yeah. of a cool dude. He's definitely exactly what I imagine Dick Halloran being as. And then you see him at his place in Florida and you're like, that makes so much more sense for him because he <laughs> is the odd man out at the hotel. Right. And that's why he's also probably on top of having the shine, like he's able to see it as a bad thing yeah. it, as like this entity. And then you see him in his comfort zone and you're like, Oh yeah, he's meant to be in like warm climates with hot, naked women smoking a cigar and drinking. But Scatman apparently hated uh, Scatman. Crowlers apparently hated Kubrick also because mm. that scene where they zoom in when they're in the when they show him in his apartment or uh -huh. whatever and you see the two paintings yeah and then it zooms in on him real slow mm -hmm. well apparently Kubrick shot that like 70 times or something and Scatman eventually just burst into tears and was like I hate you oh my god <laughs> so uh that's another actor who apparently hated this i mean kubrick apparently shot this movie for like almost a year and it took him a lot of time afterwards to to like edit it and get it done and mm -hmm. stuff like that so um a lot of people did not like He's old like stan the instagram girl equivalent it's like no can you uh, the angle just a little bit i'm gonna yeah. take this it'll take you two hours to get that exactly right so pick. let's talk what it really is your favorite creepiest part in the book. And I'm curious if it works as well for you in the movie, which is when Jack goes into room 237. Now we never see Danny go in. He just shows up. You see flashes of it. Right. Of. But you never see him like getting, well, right. You don't see any the, of that stuff. Yeah. So it's really just kind of boiled down to the one creepo scene where Jack goes in. It's a hot, woman the full frontal yeah she's got legs for like, days longest beautiful let she is a very very attractive woman. right so she legs herself out mm -hmm. of the tub she comes over jack's all like kissy kissy time they yeah. make out and then he looks in the mirror and she's well, an a entire rotting old body right and then it, I, I feel like kubrick spends about 25 minutes just her laughing <laughs> and grabbing at the camera <laughs> Yes, it's a so, very old crone. <laughs> so compared laugh. to the the book, which obviously Danny goes in and that sort of happens to him without the kissing, but the, you know, the creepiness and mm -hmm. him being grabbed and him seeing all of this stuff. And then, you know, when Jack goes in in the book, he doesn't see anything, but something does come after him. Yeah. So it's two kind of different scares. 
And I feel like this one is is, is a third. It's a, sort of its own thing. Mm-hmm. So does it work as well for you? I think it works in the movie. I right. was way more scared by Jack being chased by something he can hear but refuses to look at right. more so than I was scared about him making out with a corpse. That's more just like, ew, sick. Gross, you don't even know what she's been. Oh my been. god, Rose, you got ill. Like thinking about it is definitely gag right. <laughs> worthy. But um, there's also something to it in the book where when Danny goes in, you know there's something there, but then you're like, how much of this is in this kid's head? Or like, what's really going on? And then when Jack goes in and he's like, This is weird, I'm gonna go. Yeah. And then something chases him, you're like, No, there that's a bad room, you gotta stay out of there. Yeah. And then this, it's sort of just the one hard sell and you're just kind of like, okay, so yeah, I'm with you. It's it's just more kind of gross than it is like really scary. It's also, I, I think if Jack looked at her, saw her, like realized he's making out with this corpse, but then she like magically switched back into that hot woman oh, yeah, again, he he'd keep going. Yeah, yeah, he'd yeah. keep fucking going because by that point, he's so into the hotel like, there is no good Jack. So might as well lean all into it, you know, and just hook right. up with the hot corpse when she's hot. <laughs> you know? I'm like, I, I see where you're going. Uh, it's weird, but I like it. Yeah. Uh, okay, fair enough. Uh, I will say my other, probably the biggest highlight for me otherwise in this movie is everything that takes place in the bar and in the ballroom. I love the way it's like, lit Mm. lloyd is such a creepy bartender of course but nicholson seems to like revel in those scenes he like chews them up with just the way he talks and the way he does his damn eyebrows and his Mm. jokery grin and just the way he just indulges there and then every little drink he has it's like he my guess is that it's probably like iced tea or something in those glasses Mm. but my god does it look like he is really drinking whiskey and savoring every well i wanted to be there (laughs) but also i love when he walks through Mm. and it's just kind of quiet but you could tell everyone's partying and having a good time but it's not like this overwhelming blast of party it's just like this classy upscale it's a party i desperately wanted to be at right but yeah it's it's that part is really neat i guess kubrick did some tricks there where he asked people to like almost mime talking and doing all of these Mm -hmm. things so that it would look kind of, he was described as like a tripping through time kind of like party thing, which you definitely get. But I love that convo that uh, Jack has in the bathroom with Grady after he spills the advocate all over him and they go in and then Grady's just so ominous and weird. And then you just kind of finally, I don't know. It's weird how they take this like festive moment this really cool party. It's yeah. finally like, oh, I'm away from the stress. I'm going to have a drink. I'm going to hang out, talk to some new people. What mm-hmm. He meets that woman. Yeah. There's all of this stuff. And then suddenly he goes in the bathroom and it's like, oh, well, actually, things need to be escalated because your son has yeah. called somebody and you need to go correct them. And it's just like, and oh, yeah, we're in a horror movie. is red and white. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so bright. Like, just like, ah, bad. And... Mm. that i liked it with grady though because he does he like calls him on all the bullshit and he's like you used to be the caretaker and he's like no sir mm-hmm. blah, not blah, not, blah. not me uh-uh. and 
Jack is really realizing like, oh, fuck, I'm talking to the ghost of the dude who murdered his family, but I'm mostly okay with it. Right. Because he's fucking crazy. Yeah. That's kind of my run of stuff that I, I really loved in this. Did you have anything else that you were just real I big on? didn't realize it until the very end when um, noises in the movie. So we talked about Danny rolling through the building and how that noise sounds. And then near the end of it, you get kind of like this heartbeat sound that happens a lot. And it made me realize that when Danny's rolling around in the hotel, that's what it sounds like. Hmm. It's like that. Makes sense. I was like, Ooh, that's creepy in a lot of ways. So it's like, yeah, the heartbeat of the hotel, just deep in your brain. Um, yeah, but are we going to talk about what Stephen King said about any of it? Go for Cause it. Because I have some fun quotes. Cause, yeah, because I would like, let, let's talk a little bit about King and then let's just run through some stuff maybe you, you didn't really care about Yeah. in regards to the movie. Because it, it, like we said, it is a good bit different and like when you get into the, the, the depths of it. Mm-hmm. Outside it, the story structure is almost the same. Sure. Family goes to the hotel, bad stuff happens, people die. Well, that's that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's, let's talk about King for sure. Cause he, it's weird because Famously he says a lot it. of bad things about this and then later has had times where he's been like, it did some cool stuff. And then when it came down to that mini series in the nineties, which we're going to get to, he was like, oh yeah, I wanted to do my own version. Mm-hmm. I don't like that version. Mm-hmm. So he seems to kind of I oscillate a little bit because the book is so different. And King is so attached to his characters, particularly that of Jack, who he really related to being an author, being a person who likes to drink and has a kid that sometimes annoys you. Like, I know he's close to that. And the fact that Jack had no real redeeming qualities, he had no resolution at the end. He just kind of freezes to death and never has that last minute of, oh, I'm still here. I love my family. It hasn't been me doing this. It's been the hotel. That never happens. Um, But one of the things things, just real quick that, that Kubrick didn't like about the book apparently was that, um, it just ends with the hotel exploding hmm. and, and Jack dying like that. He felt like that there needed to be more of a like an additional death, which is why Halloran gets killed. Right. And there just needed to be more of a, you know, kind of like a it's that's a, a, a real rap. That's funny to me because Jack just kind of getting tired and freezing to death. Right. Yeah. Doesn't seem like the death you would want. You would want like Wendy to finally stab him or Danny to like lead him to a hole that he falls right. in Apparently or something. They ran through a, a variety of like permutations of what How remaining of the four characters would actually die in the end. In addition to Jack, like would it be Danny? Would it be Wendy? Would it right. be Dick or a combo of like, apparently they ran through like writing out all of them to try to come up with one that had like the most impact. And I guess ultimately it was like, well, Wendy and Danny have to live. Yeah, they got to so. live. Um, okay. So King said, 
I think The Shining is a beautiful film and it looks terrific. And as I've said before, it's like a big, beautiful Cadillac with no engine inside it. In that sense, when I opened, when it opened, a lot of the reviews weren't my weren't very favorable. And, you know, then. Oh, sorry, I fucked it up. <laughs> a lot of the reviews weren't very favorable. And I was one of those reviewers. I kept my mouth shut at the time, but I didn't care much for it. He said a lot of other worse stuff. Yeah, like I have one here that I put in that said, I'd admired Kubrick for a long time and had great expectations for the project, but I was deeply disappointed in the end result. Parts of the film are chilling, charged with a relentlessly claustrophobic terror, but others fall flat. You know, like he has a so much stuff where he was like, yeah, some of this is pretty cool, but overall, I don't like this adaptation. And mm-hmm. then there are times where he's pretty mean about it, and other times where he just seems sort of softballs it. But yeah, I, I it's hard to get a read on what King really thought of this, but I agree with you. He probably just didn't like the fact that all of the parts in the book that are so very much him, mm-hmm. and things that he wrote from personal experience or feelings and all of that stuff are gone. Yeah. And I'm going to assume that that's probably what he hates about it. Yeah. The humanness of it is largely removed. I did like that. And I I felt this way when I was watching the movie. It seemed like while I did like Shelley Duvall and how she was played or playing Wendy, it was not the Wendy that we know from the book almost in any way. Which King hated too. Yeah, he said that it's, quote, one of the most misogynistic characters ever put on film. She's basically just there to scream and be stupid. (laughs) And that's not the woman I wrote about. And I fully agree with it. And uh, like all the time, Shelly, when she's running around with the knife, she just... Like, who yeah. runs with a knife like that? <laughs> but also, it's just like, just get a grip for like one fucking second and make a decision. Like, right. do something. She just seems so out there all the time. And I get 100% why Stephen yeah. King did Duvall, not like that. like you said, is awesome in the role. But yes. yeah, she she's frustrating. Her, her character is pretty, like, thinly written yeah there's I think nothing this, there this kubrick quote i think pretty much says exactly what he was going to though which is speaking about the theme of the film kubrick stated that there's something inherently wrong with the human personality there's an evil side to it one of the things that horror stories can do is to show us the archetypes of the unconscious we can see the dark side without having to confront it directly he clearly went into this and mm-hmm. he read the book as a straight up horror tale that was it he didn't see the family drama there he didn't see that that level of character development amongst all these people he didn't view wendy as you know a strong woman he viewed her as just this kind of weak Weak, side 100 percent. so i mean yeah when you see stuff like that and you watch the movie you see that he certainly read the book and he certainly liked it, but he 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 saw a different interpretation there than King and maybe most fans of right. the book saw too. But it's funny because that also just kind of makes him sound like a psycho. A little <laughs> that well, he was able to read that whole book and be like, "This is just about a fucked up dude being fucked up and doing fucked up shit." Right. Um, I. <laughs> 
I don't, I just, it's so different. All of it. It's, it's so different. But I like both. I like both and too. And can appreciate both separately from one another. Yes, I agree. You have to look at them separately. Mm-hmm. And otherwise you'll be mad like Stephen King. Right. Because the book is amazing. I really loved it. Like right. I, once I started reading it, I just blew through it because I was just so into it. And I wanted to know like, what's next, what's next, what's next. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I can look at the movie and, and be okay with it as far as the changes go, because it's an adaptation. It's not going to be a, a literal thing, but, um, there are definitely some parts of the movie though, that I feel like could have used some of what King put into his book. The, the characters are all generally kind of, you know, shallow, mm-hmm. I guess there's not a lot going for them, but then again, he made a horror movie but then again it's like two and a half hours yeah. long so anybody who complains about the pacing of that movie or that it drags every now and again i 100 percent get because i agree there are parts where you're just like okay i get it it's, they're going crazy it still held my attention i'm real bad about any movies over an hour and a half long right <laughs> but i did it does it did still hold my attention pretty much the entire time um so there's that i do feel like now it's funny because we just kind of like devolve or whatever into almost what feels like shitting on the movie well (laughs) but it's not it's just so different from the book yeah anything you take and and look take a good look at with a a critical eye you're going to end up finding things that right you know, you kind of like pull apart, I guess, you know, like I have a little section of low lights here and it's all stuff we discussed already, but things that, you know, were attached to highlights of the mm-hmm. film, right? Like Nicholson does a great job, but he also looks insane and you know exactly right. what's going to happen with that character. You know, that's a lot of my low light stuff. It's, is it a horrible low light? Does it mean the film is bad? No, but it is stuff that you at least note because... Well, it's stuff you notice, you know, like I noticed that and then went on and did research for The Shining. And that's one of the top King quotes is like, well, Nicholson, Nicholson looks like a crazo. So, you know, I get how it sounds like we're shitting on it. But um, here after a lot of praise, but I'm not just acknowledging some various things. Do we talk what what's the very scariest thing that happened in the movie for you? Hmm. I mean. You know, I don't know if the movie is overwhelmingly scary at all. Um, I, I, it has a lot of, it's more unsettling. Right. I mean, the staircase scene where Jack is after her is really unsettling. When he goes in the room 237, it's unsettling. Um, I hate the part where... Obviously, when he's trying to get into the bathroom with the axe. Yeah, you're, that's... That, you're just kind of like, and Shelly, she's just Shelly, screaming. It's just well, a lot. Well, and she looks fucking terrified. Like, yeah. it's real. It feels real. Apparently, they had to put a real door up. They used, like, because Jack Nicholson, doors. Jack Nicholson, well, they had, like, a plastic door or something to start, but mm. Jack Nicholson had firefighter experience. So, the, like, fake door they put up, he blew through, like, in one swing, and they were <laughs> like, oh, that doesn't, we have to give you a real door. Because you know how to use an axe. Call the door guy. Right? So they had to put in real doors. Mm-hmm. And then he improvised the line, here's Johnny. Which, by the way, Kubrick had never even watched where that had come Johnny from. Harrison. Yeah, so he almost cut that from the film because he was like, I don't know why this is in here. It's not in the script or anything. It's just something Jack did. Right. So, yeah. It's one of the most famous lines from a movie of all time. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, that was improv by, by Jack, but... 
Yeah, so I mean, there's a ton of unsettling stuff. I mean, geez, even the opening shots where they're driving up the Ugh. mountainside, it's just those long yeah. shots. And you feel so, like, it feels like you're going so far away. Yeah, it's unsettling for sure. Yeah. Um, and that those, like, way up high shots of the hedge maze, mm-hmm. and you're just like, what? It's just a lot. Um, they, uh, the part that is the most unsettling for me is when Danny sees the dog man and the uh, is it Derwent that he's with I can't I don't know if it, it even matters but they're at they're like a distance away and in a bedroom and it's the dog man on all fours and the other man on the bed and you can see that probably some weird sex shit oh, had yeah. been going on yeah, yeah. and they look at Danny and you're just like oh this like one little kid shouldn't be seeing this too. They're creepy ghosts and they're like doing creepy ghost shit to each <laughs> other that they did do in real life a million years ago. I don't know. That part is so scary to me. Fair enough. Um, but so overall, yeah. this is a movie you would recommend, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you kind of have to, it is kind of one of the top horror movies like yes, ever for sure. But I mean, I guess what I mean there is not so much in just a straight movie sense, but like if you're a fan of the book and you somehow have not seen this movie yet, should you see this movie? Um, I think you should still see it for sure. I think go into it knowing that it's not going to feel like the book. Right. It's not exactly an accurate adaptation. Yeah. However, it is a good movie. Yes. So there you go. Good movie. All right. So that is Kubrick's movie. Mm -hmm. His 1980 affair that was poorly received when it came out. And now everyone is like, it's amazing. Yeah. On the flip side of that, we have the Shining miniseries, which came out in 1997 on ABC. Uh, This is directed by Mick Garris, who also did The Stand in 94 and some other stuff that were like King adaptations. So... Uh, King essentially did this because he didn't like the Kubrick version. Mm -hmm. Um, He shot it, or it was shot at the Stanley Hotel, which inspired King. So really all the stuff that King hated about Kubrick's version, he tried to fix with this ABC miniseries. Uh, And unlike Kubrick's movie, this came out and was really well received. And over time, just hasn't aged very well. And people will now look back on it now and go, eh, it was okay. I can't think of a single 90s miniseries that has. I mean, that's fair. But I'm just saying, it's funny how the trajectory of these has gone. Mm. Um, So anyways, let's talk about the plot. There's no real need. It is exactly (laughs) like the damn book. I mean, there's a reason maybe King shouldn't write these scripts. Because like you mentioned earlier, he's got such a love for what he originally penned he doesn't he's not doesn't seem capable of letting any of it go mm-hmm. this is the book yeah on tv yeah um it's obviously got some things changed uh, like some minor stuff jack is in aa and he goes to aa meetings which isn't in the book it takes place in the 90s which it also takes place in the 90s the, um yeah there's some other little things in there but in general this is the book on TV. And I, <laughs> what I wrote down in my highlights and lowlights for this is that 
it's exactly like the book. I put that in both sections because I think some of it really works. It's really cool to see some of the stuff like the hedge animal scenes mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, the mallet that Jack uses to wallop Wendy and destroy the hotel seemingly. And the boiler explodes at mm-hmm. the end and all of that stuff. It's like, cool. It's cool to see. Yeah. And then there's just, there's a reason things get adapted. And maybe some of it's, you know, it's a little bit too much fat uh, here to fill out these three hour and a half long episodes. Like Mm -hmm. the first part is pretty slow and it just... much happens. Right. It feels like if someone had made like a three hour version of this, it would have been really great. Mm -hmm. But it's four and a half hours and it's just long and it feels long and it feels made for tv which what are you gonna do it was made for tv yeah i liked it i think you liked it too i Um, did like it i'm just saying if i'm gonna watch something i would rather watch the adaptation that kubrick did because it's at least somebody looking at it and taking what they pulled from it and putting mm-hmm. it on the screen. And you're still getting some of that imagery of the hotel, all those different things. Right. This is just, it's so literal. Mm-hmm. And it's on a made-for-TV budget. So the lighting is bad. Like you pointed out, it's, there's a couple of scenes where they're in fully lit rooms. Yeah, and like, someone's like, I better light this candle yeah, so I can see. Using a flashlight in yeah. the boiler room and where you're it's like, super bright. It's entirely bright. Why yeah. do you need this? And it's just stuff like that that is just a little Well, and sometimes much. it's just so brightly lit that it it takes away scariness right like you're like oh it's fine you know it's any other horror movie you're like oh good it's not nighttime anymore i can breathe it's the daytime the bad stuff isn't gonna happen during the daytime right it's just a yeah it's just made for tv which just works against it and then also king was clearly able to do whatever he wanted Mm -hmm. so you know one of the first things you pointed out was this hotel doesn't look like how I imagined, which is funny because it's the, hotel, the hotel that inspired him. Yep. And you're right. Like, it does look kind of off. It doesn't look big enough. It doesn't look scary enough. Mm-hmm. It just is weird. It's just like a hotel. Right. And so that's weird. And then again, it's just how long it is and how made for TV it feels. But I did like the cast a lot. Yes. I thought the cast did did really well. So we, we have uh, Steven Weber as Jack Torrance, Rebecca De Mornay as Jack's wife, Wendy. Cortland Mead and Will Horneff as the different age uh, Danny Torrance's. And then Melvin Van Peebles is uh, Dick Halloran. Yes. I thought Weber did a really good job. Apparently he was cast like like three, four, four days, days before. before. Yeah. Uh, I was. Before shooting started. Yeah. Looking at that too. Uh, you would know Steven Weber from the movie or the TV show Wings. Right. Yeah. Which, oh man, what a throwback. He played I Brian he did a on pretty Wings. good job. He is more the everyman that apparently that, that you know, King wanted. Yes. For the, the, the first movie. And he does kind of have that. Nice guy. And he he does go back and forth between being like, I hate you guys, mm-hmm. leave me the fuck alone, and being like, hey, yeah, you know what? I love you. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, so you feel like you never really know what you're going to get from him in any yes. given scene, which works better uh, that way, I think, than just knowing that Jack's going to go bonko. Sure. Um, I also, I thought Rebecca DeMornay was a, perfect wendy cast like she's definitely the kind of gal i think that 
Stephen King always imagines like a lot of his women are like hot blondes who are pretty empowered. Uh, I forgot he wanted Jessica Lange back when the first 70 or the movie in 1980 was made. Uh, who, and I think Jessica Lange would have been great. But I did really like Rebecca De Mornay, and you would know Rebecca De Mornay because she's the fucking hot girl in Risky Business. One of the most beautiful women I've ever seen. Great body, great everything about her. And in King's defense, what he complained about with old old Kubi and his film was, you know, Wendy being an idiot. Yeah. She is not in this. No. She spends the whole miniseries going, something feels kind of wrong here. Yeah. We should probably get out. Don't like it. Right. So she has definitely written a lot better in the miniseries. Mm-hmm. She's more, I mean, really, they're all kind of more entwined or, or connected to how they are in the book. Mm-hmm. Although, maybe with the exception of Danny. Fucking, okay. He's my least favorite Portland. part of the miniseries. Me. He, because me he, the, the actor not only has disgustingly fat cheeks that just go on for days. He's too... Like the like the woman in the movie with the long legs for days, mm-hmm. his cheeks are the equivalent of that. <laughs> they just start and never like end. Like a little chipmunk. And so Cortland Mead, who plays Danny, was uh-huh in Little Rascals, the movie. Right. And he was adorable because in that movie, he was like four or five. But in this miniseries... He's actually like nine to ten. Right. And he still has not and grown into those cheeks. He still has these big fucking cheeks. And I just can't. He sounds so snotty, all the like yeah. the little kids who talk like this because they constantly have <laughs> snot on their face. Like that is what he is doing. And it's so hard for me to like that little snot faced kid, right. which <laughs> maybe it would have. I, I don't know. I'm he's not the worst part. That. Yeah, he is. He's also, he is not as like smart or engaging or anything like he is in the book he doesn't seem kind of mature he just is this chunky faced (laughs) cheek boy who just he's just the guy they go to when they need him to say something creepy yeah the hotel is watching cheek 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 it's just like oh whatever man he he was super annoying. Like the first then, 10 minutes I was like, I fucking hate this kid. Right. And then let's also talk about the fact that not only is Danny the boy not really well done, but Tony, who is Danny from the future, yes. obviously, as we discussed in the last podcast and is a very big reveal in the book. But Tony, when he appears in front of Danny, he is a 90s boy who looks like he was taken out of like Saved by the Bell or something. He looks like... David Hyde Pierce as a teenager. Right. And he floats always he, like yeah. 10 feet off the ground. But he looks like he's just been cut out. Like right. It's, it's, the CG is so very flat bad. flat and just floating very close by right. and is straight so very literal about and just like, Danny, don't go in room number 217. Right. He's got he's got a middle part and shitty little glasses. And the tiny little 90s And he always is wearing like plaid or some 90s got, stuff khakis on and like a vest right and, shit and he like floats that. and he's just always like danny you better not do anything yeah. and danny's always just like go away like yeah. literally every scene he just goes go away yeah. tony like even he doesn't even like tony danny the boy doesn't like tony yeah. and the way he looks or the things he says yeah it is room 217 in the series that's true so at least they got that we circled back to that for sure um but yeah danny and tony 
terrible. Right. And and frankly, if you if I'm being honest, I don't think Tony has done right in either the movie or the miniseries. I agree. He's not given the the weight the, that he the, is like, supposed to have. Ominous Tony presence is never really felt like no. he in the book to me, Tony feels kind of like a distant voice in the back of Danny's head, almost Agreed. like a conscious and it's there to protect him, but it's also scary because he has to show Danny these really scary things to right. hit home and make Danny realize that stuff is bad. In this, it's straight up just a floating yeah, a guy floating from the nineties, like who's almost acting like a babysitter. And let's also jump to one of the few story changes here, which is the ending of the miniseries which it flash forwards 10 years later and danny is graduating high school and in the crowd it's it's dick and wendy and danny communicates to them with his with his brain both of them and yeah he's like and they he's like yeah they both have the shine his mom has it too in now. the end and dick's like did you hear that and she's like sure did he and said, it, like, you almost expect you guys. Yeah, you almost expect like a freeze frame in that moment or something, mm -hmm. and everybody thumbs up. But Danny walks to the edge of the stage and at stops his own graduation. at his own graduation, and he stops and he stares into the crowd. And Jack appears, and Jack's like, "Hey, floating ghost dad, you did it. I'm proud of you. Whatever. I hope you're Love cool. You. Like, you know, have fun in college or whatever the hell. You know, mm -hmm. you you rock. But he's just." staring off in the space at for like a good 30 seconds anyone who was at this graduation would be like what, what the, the fuck somebody go help him he's having some type of an episode like he he well also not spoiler but tony the guy who's floating around as the you know as tony while he's a danny's a little boy surprise Danny is Tony. He's the same actor. Yeah, that's what we said. Yeah. So it's you're seeing him, and I think that's supposed to be how they really reveal it oh, to the right. audience. That, that makes sense. Tony is Danny. Danny is Tony. But after he um, talks to his... I read the book. His, I already I know, knew. I know. <laughs> after he... He does say something while he's visioning his dad mm -hmm. on stage at his graduation. His dad's like and like blows him a kiss oh yeah and danny like catches the kiss and he's like <laughs> he like puts it on his face and he's like misses your kisses or something like that yeah they that. have like a and little rhyme like, they say what the fuck just happened it's like i've been missing your kissing yes I, that's yeah, what it is yeah yeah and that, it's like, man, that was really weird don't say that to your dad also don't say that to an empty space uh, to a ghost only you can see yeah, on stage graduation. in front of other people yeah it was psychotic. Yeah, that was such a very weirdo 90s thing to just tack on on you the end. You didn't need it. Then it also, after that, it goes back to the hotel. Oh, yeah. And it says, being rebuilt, soon to open or whatever. And there's like a ghost hotel. Yeah, there's like a <laughs> shimmery ghost hotel. But it ends with them oh, saying, God. we're going to rebuild this fucking hotel. It's wild because obviously at this point, the 1997 was... was 24 years ago um God, but the weird. the leaps and bounds in cg yeah is astonishing because there is a few scenes in this i mean tony floating is awfully bad. done the ghost hotel is really bad 
the hedge animals are well, okay. They stay very far away from them, but also yeah. they're very tiny. For the first few times you see the hedge animals, they are actual hedge animals. Yes. They're more like the size, human sized. They're not huge, like the size of a car, like I imagine them in the book. But they do look good and they kind of use like almost like freeze frames of them so that it looks that, like they're moving the and that was fine. freeze frames works. That works. But when they finally do, you get to see them actually moving. It's just, they look like little green blobs. Yeah, they look like little shrubberies. Like, they definitely do not have the shape of any particular animal. No, not at all. Um, So, yeah, that was weird. They They left out, and I'm bummed because... One of my favorite scenes from the books was when Danny was in the playground and he gets stuck in the tube or whatever right. with whatever and they he They do can't have a see. playground scene there where he gets playground. chased by the hedge animals, um, but Wendy and, and Jack come out and the hedge animals are then seen and so they yeah. go back or whatever. But yeah, he doesn't end up in that tube. It's not no. near as kind of scary. And I will even say, even though it was fun, the, the scene was in. But when the hedge animals chase Jack, he almost seems kind of like whiny about it. He's like, oh, I can't run in these snowshoes. Yeah. And you're like, He's okay. He's like, Wah! And his uh, broom turns into a mallet right. for a little bit. And then when so he finally. Let's, let's talk about that mallet. And, and let's talk about just. You mean that Denver this... croquet? Yeah. And let's just talk about how surprisingly violent this movie is. Yes. I was. I was. Like we talked about when, you know, and obviously in room 217, the the other podcast, we talked about how one of the probably the most gnarly part in the book is that when he hits Wendy with the mallet, he he like beats the shit out of her. He he almost obliterates her with that mallet. I just assumed because this was ABC made for TV, we would not be seeing any woman get Mm -hmm. whacked with a mallet. However, he has a few over-the-top, full-force slams into this Mm -hmm. woman. When one is right in her stomach. Yeah, and she spits up blood after he hits her. And I was just like, okay. Holy shit. I I, I remember watching this miniseries as a kid, but I do not remember uh, Jack just... Wallafina. Going after Wendy with the mallet in this. Maybe it, I blocked it out through I was, the trauma. I was I so know. surprised. He wa- he gets her in the stomach. He gets her in the ankle. And like it and definitely. he's gross looking. Like yeah. his face is all like monstery. Yeah, she throws one of the mallet balls. Hits him right in the face. And hits him right in the face. And so he's got like a mask almost of blood coming down the center of his face. It's like and his in face his teeth. And his face is like distorted. Yeah. Because he, he's, you know, kind of possessed. The, at this point the makeup like the practical makeup in this was wonderful yeah the room 217 lady yeah. looks just as good as as the, as the movie oh yeah she was almost creepier because they did the shit to her eyes they did that like cloudy mm. eye thing and that always freaks me out and some of like her her uh fake skin is sort of floating in the tub Ugh, so gross it was and gross. they start like they don't show her naked body full-on obviously because it's tv but they start with her feet and her feet just look green and right. gross like they did such a great job on her makeup and it it, it was terrifying i thought that the 217 scene with jack 
was scarier in the miniseries than it was right. and in with, the Shining And with movie. Danny. Because remember, he leaves yes. and she grabs she, him out of the ooh, hallway. I, I screamed. <laughs> I know. Right. I screamed it out loud. It did get you there. It was really it? got me. Yeah. Because Danny in the series does get out of the room. He doesn't get stuck. And he like gets out of the room and is like, <sighs> Made and it. then the fucking hands grab him and snatch him back into yeah. the room and I screamed. I was yeah. so freaked it out. It was good too. Also, <laughs> I really they did a good job building the suspense for that when he's trying to see into the room through the peephole. Yeah. And there's a and little bit of water coming out of the bottom of the door, movement. but he, he can't quite see in. Yep. And then yeah, he finally gets the key and, and goes in it and it goes poorly. But Jack goes in too. Remember, I, they, it's kind of like in the book where yeah. he doesn't see anything, but then he runs out and then the door handle jiggles. Yeah, the you know? door handles jiggles. They did do the room him. 217 part justice considering yeah. it was made for TV. But then just the like the general other like creepiness and violence of it was surprising because, again, it's not like super well made. It's made for TV. The lighting's weird and you kind mm-hmm. of expect there to be this almost like G rating, I guess. Yeah. And there is not in this at mm-hmm. all. And also the the dog man is yeah. scary. Super scary. Like that's when, the other time I jo- I screamed Well out there's loud. the same where Danny runs into the hallway just like in the book and the dog man cuts him off and he's like, I need to get to my daddy and he's like, No, you're not going anywhere, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. He didn't say motherfucker, but you could see he wanted to. Yes. And he's got on this like fucking dog mask. Yeah. And then Danny like runs back towards his the room and he turns around and the dog man is gone. And mm-hmm. you're like, oh, okay. you got away. And yeah. then the dog man literally jumps up from the bottom yeah, of the frame. So scary. It's oh. so good. I was really surprised it had some solid jump scares it did. and a weird amount of violence. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I just it was too long. It was too it, long, yeah. and, it, and it was and it was hamstrung by its its TV budget. Yeah, well, but I mean, they did manage to squeeze in. I thought some stuff that was surprising. Also, the party at in the ballroom, also a party it's I would go solid. to. Yeah. It looked good. All the makeup there wasn't quite as intense as the makeup on the woman in room 217 but they did try to make everybody look look a little dead like Mm. they had those kind of like hollow gray i didn't really like about the bar and the ballroom party scene is that i feel like weber did his own performance all the way everywhere else until those scenes i felt like he was trying his hardest to be very Nicholson like. It was. It was. I agree. And the way he was saying things, and he was doing it. She was trying to do his eyebrows the same way, and it was like only one person has those eyebrows, mm-hmm. man. Sorry, and it's not you. It's not you. I did. That reminds me. Um, a lot of people turned down the miniseries role of Jack because they didn't want to be compared right. to Jack Nicholson. And one of the people that was pitched it was Gary Sinise. And I think he would have done a great job. But Gary Sinise looks so much like Jack Nicholson and has that same creepy eyebrow. Like it would have been. Yeah, like that's true. He would have been so closely compared. And And again, Weber Weber does really well the rest of the movie or the series. He just has that one stretch there where he was like, well, I don't think we can do this part without doing it like Jack did. Mm hmm. And so he he just tries to mimic him, and that part is just kind of weird. But then I guess you could also chalk it up to he's drunk, quote unquote, right? How in else? those scenes, so that's what he's trying to do. And maybe Jack Nicholson is just the ultimate drunk. I don't know, <laughs> whatever yeah. it is. There, that's the only part that, of Weber's performance that kind of 
took a little bit of a left turn for me. It was just mm-hmm. that one segment, but he just came, he seems to kind of step out of his, his comfort zone there right. and, and it doesn't quite work, but the rest of the cast is pretty good outside of the young Danny, old Danny. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Dick Halloran's fine. He's not as endearing as uh, Scatman yeah, is. Mel- in the, Melvin yeah. Van Peebles. He's he, not as good of an actor, really. But he does live. He does, yep. But he know. also gets walloped right when he comes in. Well, just like in the book. In the book, though, he has to fight off the topiary animals. He does. Which does not happen in That's the miniseries. That's true. But he, sh- but he does travel all that way. He runs inside, and yeah. Jack knocks him out with the mallet right. in the book. And yeah. outside of the hedge animals not having that big epic fight, it's pretty much the same. He goes up the mountain. Mm-hmm. He gets knocked the fuck out. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I have to say that I did enjoy the miniseries quite a bit. I just wish it hadn't been as long. Sure, but, and, you, you know. Because I had told you, uh, I had found a version on the high seas. Right. That was cut or recorded and uploaded with commercials from the actual 1997 broadcast. But yeah. it was like six hours long. And I was like, yeah. I don't want to. So, you know, it, it, that's my only thing. But, it, you know, it's not a movie. And we kind of watched it as one. Right. Um, so that I think that probably adds to it. But, yeah, I, I would like to see. You know, we talked about this at the end of Room 217. Like, does The Shining work as a miniseries? And, yes, it does. Mm-hmm. Like, imagine this with an HBO type budget right and just all the kind of bells and whistles in the first half is just this build up and the back half is just the horrific crash of it all and i think that works really well um a little bit less of a literal adaptation like the miniseries is with a little bit more of you know a, a personal mm-hmm. interpretation that is like kubrick's version i would love to see somebody take both and mash them put them together and do like a one season version of the shining yeah wouldn't that be cool it'd be cool it would be really cool after seeing two of these now obviously an 80s version and a 90s version and now here we are in the 2000s like are there some actors that kind of come to mind to you that work here i mean i definitely like the more as king kind of requested the like every man version for jack yeah like jack i think needs to be likable at some point right like i know it they already did the the outsider with bateman but i Mm. feel like he would be a really good jack bateman would be good i think uh mcavoy would be good too Mm. he can do a lot of stuff even like somebody funny like bill Hader. Like he's got Bill Hader a would face, be a really great choice. You know? That's a really good one. He could, and he seems he Bill Hader seems like the kind of guy who would be really devastated as Jack when he wakes up at the end and realizes that he's beat the shit out of his wife and he has to save his family kind right. of deal. Yeah. Um, I think he would be wonderful. I don't know any child actors that could play Danny. Yeah, That's but Wendy kind of a thing. Wendy, um. I think Emma Stone could be a good Wendy. Hmm. Ooh, Florence Pugh. Yeah. She's pretty good at being a strong woman <laughs> um, and has done some horror and been great in it also. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, what I about like for those. Halloran? I like somebody like, I think somebody a little 
like more contemporary, like like Craig Robinson or something. Oh, that would be fun. You know what I mean? Yeah. Somebody who bring a little bit Give more. Give a little levity to yeah, it. 100%. Yeah. I think that would be, and he would, you know, he's, he's cool at being the cool guy. Yeah. But he's also funny and, yeah. you know, he's hasn't done a lot where. What is happening? I don't know. I'm just hearing music. Tao in the Get Down Stay Down is playing. Alexa, stop. Fuck. Oh my god, we're haunted. That was really weird. I'm gonna leave that in the podcast oh my god, too, but that's scary. Somehow in our ramblings, the robots in the house just started playing music. So uh, if okay, we never record another great. podcast, you'll know why. <laughs> that was terrifying. Well, anyways, I like Craig Robinson. I think that would be fun. Craig Robinson would be good. Um, I think gosh, who else? I don't know. Now I'm stuck on Craig. He would right. he would be a fun one. But like, Even like Dave Chappelle could be a good one. Dave wouldn't be bad. You know, I think about But imagine him. like a, a really great show. Like the first episode is almost that whole interview with Olman. He gets mm -hmm. home at the end. You know, like you could really work this up uh, like King does a lot. And then really just make the hotel stuff have so much more weight to it. When you really spend the first half of a season getting attached to mm -hmm. Wendy and Danny and Jack and then doing it how it is in the book, you know, where it's a little bit of sometimes Wendy's a little annoying. You mm -hmm. need her to just chill out. And then other times you're really on her side and just that like playing both sides of all these characters. I'd really love to see that yeah. drawn out a little bit more, but not so literally done like the miniseries. Okay. Yeah. And then hopefully they do Tony some justice. Yeah. And as you said, it needs to be more of like a, astral projection or something mm -hmm. it doesn't need to be a literal floating boy from the 90s right i feel like it's almost even more of uh the experience and get out when you know he gets put into the mental you know what I'm right, talking right, about? right yeah yeah it's yeah. like just him in a black nothingness that makes sense because also in the real world danny's zonked out he's yeah. almost like drooling somewhere yeah so all right so I'm going to assume that this is what your your answer is here. Just correct me if, if it's otherwise. But if you want a good adap adaptation of the book, you go for the miniseries. Absolutely. If you just want a movie version of the book yeah, that will give you the gist, but it's kind of its own thing, you go the movie. Mm -hmm. Anything else to add there? I mean, I think they're both worth watching. Yeah, obviously I, Kubrick's movie is a, an iconic kind of thing, and the miniseries to me is too long and it's a little low rent, but it does have some good stuff in it. And overall, I, I did enjoy it. I enjoyed the miniseries a lot. It's I think the first miniseries that we've watched for this podcast that I have yeah. liked. Like it's The Shining, or not The Shining. Salem's Law was so fucking long yeah, like you all hated of them Salem's i hated lot. it there was that one made for tv version of carrie that was more accurate but it was also yeah. like too low rent that was like an or i think that came out in like 2000 it was very right. it looked like a soap opera looked very made for tv but yeah which uh, the miniseries here does too but mm -hmm. it's that soft focus lens right and just overly lit but yeah it, it does you do get to see a lot more stuff and the book is so good that you know, it generally works. 
I just wish it hadn't been four and a half hours long, yeah. but that's how that goes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I recommend watching it. If you can find it, I, where did you find the miniseries? The High Seas. Oh, okay. Sorry. I forgot that you <laughs> literally went out on a ship and found yes, it did. on the High Seas. It was, right, yes. right, right, right. Yeah. That's my own treasure map. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I will say this. We've done Carrie, we've done Salem's Lot, and now we've done The Shining. And of the three, the the one that has the two best kind of adaptations is definitely The Shining. Yes. There aren't any like trash, weird B level um, mm-hmm. sequels. There aren't any like redos of TV adaptations that right it, it, that try too hard to replace iconic roles and things like that. Like these two things each do their own thing. And they have a lot that is done really well. And they have some things that don't really quite work as well. But overall, they're both like pretty, mm-hmm. I'm going to say pretty watchable, but they're both watchable. Yeah. It's a good trifecta. Read the book, watch the movie, watch the series, yeah. be happy. Mm-hmm. I feel like what I would do if I were anybody is if you read the book, I would watch the miniseries. Yes. And then after about a week, I would queue up. Kubrick's movie so that you get the instant gratification of seeing everything you just read generally seeing everything on screen Mm -hmm. and then after a week of letting that settle in and that bit of excitement go through you then you could put on old Stan's version and be like oh it's different but it's its own thing it's cool whatever Mm -hmm. it's I don't think there's a person out there who doesn't hasn't been exposed to the shining movie in some sort of way, even if you haven't seen it, the, right. the pop culture references to it are Here's Johnny, gi- like everywhere. Yeah, like that fucking carpet. You yeah. know, just yeah. I saw print. a pair of Vans the other day that had that carpet. Yeah. I think because I was doing so much like googling of The Shining, I started getting served ads, mm. and they were Vans that were the Shining, the Dang, the Overlook carpet no they were ugly yeah i guess it's like a maroon yellow combo yeah, it wasn't not your good. favorite it wasn't good um i wish that part of me wishes i didn't have that in my brain before i read the book because it already you know it puts that image in your head oh and yeah I think 100%. that's why i thought the hotel in the miniseries was so small because the hotel in the movie is so almost cavernous at times yeah Yeah, there's a i read some stuff about how the sort of the real world dimensions of the overlook and the in kubrick's movie don't really work out because they just seemingly goes on forever and the hotel is very clearly not that big Mm -hmm. (laughs) so yeah yeah i'm gonna Uh, be there there's a lot of forced perspective Mm -hmm. um especially when they're in the hedge maze also hedge maze maze, (laughs) which the Stanley Hotel, I think, now has its own hedge, or maybe it's not the Stanley, but one of the hotels that they filmed out for the movie now has a hedge maze. They like. I mean, it would make one. sense for the Timberline to have the hedge it maze because that's that. where the movie was shot. But it's um, interesting. Yeah, because they did. I was curious. I was like, did they use a hedge maze just because the hotel already had one? Like, that's a wild mm-hmm. thing to have. But... In fact, it, it didn't. And if you look at some of the shots coming into the Timberline, mm-hmm. there is no hedge maze where there is supposed to be one. Okay. Um, so, yeah. All right. Well, that's The Shining for yes. Room 217 and Room 237. From here, we're going to jump to Richard Bachman. Ooh. This is the the next book that King had published was under the pseudonym of, of Richard Bachman. Mm-hmm. Rage. 
about the school shooting, which I also had to sell the high seas for because you can't, it's no longer in publication. King took it out because it's so controversial. There is no adaptation of that. So we will only do a room 217 for that. But then we jump into his short stories and there are a bunch of short stories that were made into movies. And Mm -hmm. so we'll kind of have our work cut out for us there, but um, it'll be fun because there's a bunch of really great stuff in those short stories, like children of the corn, Mm -hmm. the running man, Mm -hmm. some really fun movies and things that people did really cool stuff with out of these short stories. So. All right. That's that. If you need us, um, just leave us alone. I don't know what you would need from yeah, us. I don't, don't. I'm at Whitney Lamond everywhere. It's easy. Yeah. Just side one track one at side one track or one. That but leave John. us alone. <laughs> and stop playing things on our robots in our house. That was fucking freaky. That was really weird. I can't believe that happened. Yeah, let's go figure out okay. what happened there. I'm okay. Go cry. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>